You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hey, what's up, Surf Splendor listeners? This is your host, David Scales, welcoming you back to another show. A slightly different format for today's show. We're going to get into surf news, um, I don't know, maybe about the 10-minute, 12-minute mark of the show. But before we do, I'm going to toss it to a little um, conversation that I have with a surfboard shaper named Matt Parker. You might have heard his name before. In fact, you might have heard his name on the last episode of Surf Splendor. I was talking to Scott about um, boards at his boardroom show, um, vendors, people who are there displaying their wares. And one of them that I mentioned really liking is um, a brand named Album Surfboards. Matt Parker is the man behind Album Surfboards. He is the shaper. And um, after I mentioned that in our last show, Matt sent an email to Scott and I saying, hey, man, thanks for the shout out. If you guys want to try out some boards, swing by the shop and I'll loan you a couple and um, give them a spin. And I thought that was very generous of him. And I was grateful for that offer. And so I accepted that offer. So I went and picked up a board from Matt today, actually, and um, recorded my conversation with Matt to hear about the board that he was going to be loaning me. And what we're going to do is I'm going to ride this board over the course of the next few weeks, maybe the next couple weeks. There's a swell on the horizon, actually, uh, this weekend. So I'll ride it for the next couple of swells. And then I'll drop it off with Matt and give him feedback on it. And when I do, I will um, have a further conversation with him, not just about this board, but more about what he does in surfboard design and um, kind of a more one-on-one profile piece on Matt like I've done in the past with so many other shapers. So look forward to that. But um, interestingly, Matt has been exploring uh, asymmetrical surfboard design. And so that's kind of what this conversation is about. It's a little, little touch on asymmetry as a design theory. And then about this board specifically and what the design features are in this board that I'm going to be writing. So really cool. Hope that you enjoy. Um, before I toss to that, I'll give you the normal business details that I always do, which are surfsplendorpodcast.com is our website. You can go there and see all the videos and links to articles that we discuss in this show. Um, at Surf Splendor is our Instagram handle, Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook if you just search. I think it's actually facebook.com slash surfsplendor. So you can find our show there. And that's a great way to share the show with friends, which we require of you. If you want to be a listener, all that we ask is that you share it. That helps our show grow. All right. Enjoy this conversation with Matt Parker of Album Surfboards. At Album Surf, by the way. All right. Enjoy. So starting with, if you haven't ridden asymmetrical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you haven't ridden one, you definitely need to ride one uh, because 
it's all like for the last year, it's all I keep coming back to. Personally, Personally as a surfer. Personally as a surfer because it, the speed is really addicting and how reactive and responsive they are uh-huh. and how they kind of allow you... I've been surfing for 25 years and so my turns are what my turns are going to be. Yeah. You know what I mean? On my normal boards. And I still love doing that but, but the asymmetrical boards kind of let you take a little different angles and so... You're carrying speed on a board that ha- that's a little narrower and maybe has more rocker than I would normally ride on that day, but I'm carrying more speed, and so it's allowing me to find a different line and go a little tighter with an arc or draw out a turn in a little different way, and so okay. it just kind of opens things up a little bit. Um, nothing about the nature of asymmetry would inherently like lend itself to being... Uh, better performance, I would say. So what are the details that actually lend itself to allowing you to do those things? Well, I think, I mean, no, even a symmetrical surfboard never surfs symmetrically, right? A surfboard is never going in a straight line with water running directly underneath it. You know? Right. We're not wake surfing behind a boat. Or anything and like even that. that isn't really yeah. symmetrical. Yeah. There's a lot of contours always tra- traversing. Totally. You're always going at a different angle. You're pushing on one rail right. rather than the other. You're pushing with one foot. You're redirecting. Yeah, so for me, it's, it's two things. So um, the fact that uh, you're, you're riding a tri-fin, uh, but it's really set up as like a twin fin and a quad together. Okay. So your, your toes and your, uh, over your toe side rail is really like you're on a twin fin. It feels fast like a twin does. It feels free, like uh, you're not limited and there's not drag like you would have okay. with like a normal board. And so you really feel like you're flying and when, uh, there's a wa- lot of water moving through the board. Uh, because of the way the fins are placed and how your heel side rail cuts away, it places your heel right over your quad fin boxes too. And so at the same time, you're in the fastest place to drive the board and make it go like you'd be on a twin fin. Your heel is sitting right over that little control point mm. of a quad setup or a quad cluster. So you have pivot and you have grip and all those good things that come along with that when you need it. So it's interesting. A lot of times, like on a performance shortboard, sometimes, like when you're pumping down the line and you're trying to make a section, your foot is at the front of your pad or kind of like right in front of your fins to get speed. Right. And when you're ready for a section to do a turn, you kind of got to slide your foot back up against the kicktail to really be in the sweet spot to hook a turn. Right. So for me, with the ASIMs, I I feel like I'm in the drivey spot that's making it go, but it's also the reactive spot that's going to be the best spot to pinpoint a turn okay. and, and drive through a, an arc. So so those design details are fin placement and then maybe the way that the outline, the outline. hugs where your heel is. Mm-hmm. What other elements are in play? So also bottom contours. Okay. You know, that really, you do a little bit of a different bottom contour to account for where the fins are placed and where your feet are placed. And so on mine, I do a really kind of accentuated, deep uh, single concave that runs through and kind of sweeps through the fin area. But that makes the boards kind of have that spark and that extra speed too. And you really feel that lift and zip and you feel that board moving, you know, drag free. And why is that different than it would be on a symmetrical board? Uh, well, I think a symmetrical board, of like a standard 
performance shortboards that's symmetrical, single to double concave, and that double concave is around the stringer, you know, positioned on the fins, and it's symmetrical down the center line of the board. And with this, especially when I do uh, asymmetrical boards that are stringerless, you can kind of uh, remove that element of the stringer or where the center point is, right. and you're positioning the concave more based on where the fins are placed and, and where the foot placement foot placement right. a little bit more so okay. thinking about it in that way a little bit so it's not necessarily centered to the center of the board it's more centered where your weight totally. distribution will be totally the design elements are totally okay uh tell me about this specific board so this so something else is cool about them is that you can apply the same kind of theory to lots of different kinds of boards sure so i can take my performance uh, discord model and make an asymmetrical version of that and it goes super good and it's like a performance version that's an asymmetrical board. This one happens to be my mod twin model which is kind of like a performance twin fin like that's a little bit fuller in volume and it has a lower rocker and I've just made an asymmetrical version of the mod, modern twin fin. Okay. So, um, it's kind of what? like... A, I, I was riding the, my normal twin fin, and it felt really good, but it's sometimes when you're back going backside with twin, yeah. it feels like a little squirrely if you're not riding the right spot sometimes. And so I was like, I should just keep the same twin vibe front side or on my toes, but just add a quad set and kind of pull in that mm-hmm. heel side rail. And then it's like a twin fin that grips. So, A uh, couple thoughts. You're asking what style of board I ride or whatever. This is the perfect solution, by the way. Mm-hmm. Like, this is something I'd be psyched to ride. Yeah, cool. um, so, good choice there. Yeah. Number two, when I have discussions about asymmetry, I always want, maybe I don't always say this, but what I really want is to have a symmetrical version of a board and then an asymmetrical version basically of the same board so that I could take both boards out, test them together, and mm-hmm. see what the differences are between the two. Mm-hmm. And so I like that this is based off of a model where you have that exact thought process yeah, and no, made adjustments. That was, that was exactly yeah. I had been riding asymmetricals a bunch, and I've always, I always love twin fins. I surf trussle uppers a lot, and it's a mushy kind of open yeah. face little wave, and so twin fins go well there. And so I was surfing one, and I was taking a bunch of lefts one day, and that's when it was like eh, a little a little squirrely. Right. Kind of like do something a little different here. So. Cool. And what's the construction on this? So this one's poly. It's just a normal poly, you know, US blank, poly construction, just glass with the black pigment. So okay. stringered, obviously. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Cool. I do them in all different constructions, but this one just happens to be just standard. Cool. Okay. I will say, uh, I do love the black. And I've seen a number of your boards, like flat black. It mm-hmm. looks rad, but I feel a little bit intimidated. Like, I got to go out and shred on this thing. <laughs> People are going to be looking at me like, who's this kid? With a front deck pad, too? Yeah, I don't know I if know. I can pull it off, man. <laughs> I don't have to surf down the beach where there's, like, nobody out. Well, the, you know, you can you can be pretty inconspicuous in the black with the blackboard, too. Can you? Yeah. Okay. They're, they're the opposite of flashy, you know, when you're out there. But it's almost more flashy because well, of that, you know? <laughs> Feel like boating <laughs> on the beach. They're flashy walking okay. on the beach, but once you're in the water, you kind of like disappear in the water a little bit. So. I'm curious to try the front deck pad. A friend of mine who just got a new board last week asked, "He's like, what's your thoughts on the front deck pad?" Uh-huh. I'm like, "Well, dude, yeah. if you're going to be stomping air rotations, yeah. go for it. Yeah. If yeah. not, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't have problem like with wax on blackboards. Just keep it in a bag, and it's fine. But 
It is kind of nice having it on there because you don't have to think about it. Yeah. I, functionally, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'd be trunking it much with, no. with it like that. but I do like those octopus pads, though, the corduroy. Yeah, I've got one of those on another board. Yeah, they feel almost grippier when they're wet, too, it seems yeah. like. Yeah, it's rad. So. Uh, okay, anything else we need to say about the board? Mm, that's about it. Yeah, this right. one's good. Yeah, you're welcome to try this one. I'd I have a couple you can look at if you want. You're, this one. You're welcome to take this one out. Fits the build. This perfectly. one's probably got. Yeah, I bet it's got probably a like 30, 30 and a half, 30 okay. liters, 31 maybe, even, maybe more than that. Do you know the dimensions? It's five. I think it's a five ten on the long side. Okay. It's a five ten by twenty. I okay. Think, by two and a half. So. I'll take photos of it and post it for if people. If that works, too. I mean that's probably it feels like oh, it totally works. Like that's a good size. Yeah, yeah, this one's loose, so fun. Okay, like, what what fin do you use? The same size fins for all three boxes? No, so you use a big old like IPA or MR twin on okay. the toe side, and then just like your normal quad set on the okay. quad side. Got it. All right, sweet. I'm psyched. Yeah. All right. Yeah, grab some fins. How long have I been gone? How rad is that? I'll answer my own question. It's super rad. Um, at Album Surf is their Instagram, Matt's Instagram. You should definitely check them out. They post photos of beautiful boards, like really, really beautiful stuff, color work, and, um, gloss polishes, all sorts of really just interesting asymmetricals. Great to look at, even if you can't have one. But guess what? You can have one. Go to albumsurf.com if you want to actually check them out and track down a board. Uh, Thank you for that. Again, I will follow up with that conversation in a couple of weeks, so look forward to that. But in the interim, I will pitch now to Scott Bass, and we will host an episode of Surf News. All right? Enjoy. I'll be back at the end to sign us someday. With all the tolls we pay, we'll own the highway someday. Yeah, guy. Down the line, Surf Talk Radio, Iron Maiden, starting your show off, David Lee Scales. What? I thought that was Jack Black, dude. No. Tenacious D. He's never rocked harder. No, my friend. Gas. Iron Maiden, Run to the Hills. Fair enough. Saturated with historical reference. I see you sound almost 100% better than last time we met. Yeah, I'm about 100% better almost. You're right. Good job. That's great to hear, man. Well, listen... um, the reason I put Iron Maiden on this morning on Down the Line Surf Talk Radio, it's Tuesday. It is, no, it's Wednesday. That's and, right. And it is June 8th. Yeah. The day after the California political primary process. Is uh, that why we couldn't meet yesterday? You no. had to go out and vote and rally the troops? No, I had a meeting, uh, some other meetings. But, um, Fair enough. Um, Iron Maidens tonight, the Iron Maidens, they're called. It's a cover band, all women covering Iron Maiden songs wow. at the Del Mar Fairgrounds for the San Diego County Fair. Crazy. The Iron Maidens. Are you going to go see them? I want to go. I really want to go, but I have another meeting this after, this evening at 7, and that show starts at 9, so... 
If it was an I all, doubt it. If it was an all male band, you would make an effort to get there. <laughs> that's so not true. It's like the WSL women's up. event. Yeah. It's like if it was male. I was I. Did I send you the the link to Simon's yeah. little blurb on the inertia about yeah. our about? He was motivated by our discussion about you know the male WCT surfers versus the female WCT surfers. Yeah, listener wrote a wrote a story for the inertia. Did did you just find that randomly, or did he send it? He to you? sent it to me. Yeah, he had sent it to me too. So yeah. I wasn't sure if he had sent it to me. He was bummed that they didn't mention our podcast. That they he had put it. He had put down the line surf talk, and the editors at the inertia took it upon themselves to take the name of our podcast out of the piece. That's the only wow. thing they edited. It's because so they don't like us over there at the inertia. I feel for some reason like we've scored a victory for whatever reason. <laughs> well, the Maybe funny it's because thing is, they know us. They really know us. The only time we ever mention the inertia on this show is to kind of poke, poke fun. It's funny. I, was, um, I met with a guy, an Australian guy, who's kind of a mover and a shaker in the Australian surf journalism. And... Um, he was asking me, he goes, what do you think of the inertia? And, um, God, I had a great analogy. I can't remember it right now. But I do want to say this. Let me get back to that. Okay, mm-hmm. Remind me. That'll come to me in a minute. Um, I, I did some guided meditation last night prior to going to sleep. And I slept so incredibly deep and long. It was really powerful. So I might recommend to you, David, if you're having problems with sleep, Go to YouTube and look up some guided meditations and just put your earphones in and tap into a couple of those. Pretty pretty good stuff, man. I slept deep and thorough and peaceful. It's funny. You and I have never once discussed meditation, but it is something that I've been exploring too. Oh, really? And it's Yeah, it's something I've been wanting to explore for probably two years. It's been on my radar, but yeah. I just haven't actually done it until more recently but i use an app called headspace oh wow have cool. you used that no i'm gonna download it it's really really good and the guy who invented it does a ted talk or maybe a couple ted talks you could like learn about him and before you get invested in it but it's um 10 minutes a day you know and it is guided mm-hmm. but it's um yeah there's a lot of benefit to it i just what i realized it you know two years ago was it's a common denominator among a lot of people who i really respect um, people who you wouldn't even think do it, yeah. do it. Like yeah. Jerry Seinfeld, for example, I heard years ago say that he's been doing it for 30 years, you know? He does TM. Yeah, exactly. Transcendental meditation. Yeah. And then Russell Simmons, who, you know, I don't care about necessarily, but I respect him. Um, he was talking about it at one point and he's like, he does, you know, a lot, like 60 minutes a day or something ridiculous. And he's a busy, busy dude. And the person interviewing him was like, well, how do you find 60 minutes? Like, I couldn't find 15 minutes. He goes, look, if you can't find 15 minutes a day for your overall health and well-being, you need three hours of it a day. You know what I yeah, mean? Right. Like, you need it more than anybody. Right. So, and it is, <clears throat> it's an all um, overall health and well-being thing. It's not just to clear your mind, but it's like... If you're stressed, you physically deteriorate as well. So it, it's good for every aspect of your health. And so have you been doing it? Yeah. Have you, so you've been doing 10 minutes a day? Yeah. That's awesome. I, too, have been doing meditation, David Lee Scales, every morning. Well, 15 minutes of it. Yeah. Great. This guy, one of my mentors. And at night, too. Well, I just started two nights ago. I've done it two nights in a row. But um, in the morning, this this mentor of mine gave me this book called Meditation, and it's by Eknath Warren. Okay. 
And this book basically takes you through uh, the prayer of St. Francis. And you meditate, you basically repeat that prayer as slowly as you can. Um, and the idea is you're supposed to do it three times you know, in an hour or mm -hmm. something like that, you know. So I'm good for 15 minutes. I've been doing it for 15 minutes every morning. And I wake up earlier so that I can do it. So mm -hmm. I'm up at like 5.15 so that my normal day's routine doesn't get offset. Right. But that I have 15 minutes in the morning where I'm doing that thing. So good for you. And I'm then, glad you're doing it. And then it. it turns out that the rest of your day, you are actually more functional. You're more efficient. Your thoughts are more well organized. So even though you're only operating the same number of hours in the day, you know, it's a better day. It's a more yeah. effective day. <clears throat> yeah. I would urge everyone to like look into some form. There is no right or wrong way to do it. Just go and try it. You well, know? and then people who have been doing it for years <clears throat> don't necessarily need to allocate that spare time, but they they use that drive time or the time that maybe they're surfing as meditative practice sure. too. You know, I think it's best to start quietly and sitting and all that sort of thing to find the foundation of it. But um, the thing that you're talking about, the St. Francis prayer, really all that you're doing is finding a mantra or like a repetitive thing. Right. And so if you, if you're going to look into TM, transcendental meditation there's gurus that will charge you fifteen hundred dollars to find your mantra you yeah, know? I know and it's like that's a stop point for a lot of people and then they just never invest deeper or go sort it out but it's like you don't need to do that you know and you don't you you have resources on youtube or these well there's even tm like i've even googled um tm on youtube yeah and there's a couple of guys that'll basically they won't say hey this is tm but they're like yeah this is tm basically right. this is what you're getting for the 15 i think you and i have talked about this no, no? we haven't well basically for 1500 bucks you get a word you get right, a phrase exactly. you know and and you're not supposed to tell anyone the word or the phrase you're supposed to drive people back to tm which really in my mind, it's, it, it leaves a sour sort of flavor. Completely. You know, it's like it almost feels like a multi-level marketing scam or something, yeah. you know. It's somebody trying to profit off spirituality, you know. Right. And spirituality is not for sale. If it is, it's called religion. Yeah, exactly. So there's a great episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. I love that show. Where Larry David That's doesn't want to pay the 1500 bucks. <laughs> But Richard Lewis, his buddy, is like super into it and already has his mantra, but he's not actually meditating anymore. So Larry David borrows his <laughs> mantra and his life gets better and Richard Lewis's life goes off the deep end. So then Richard wants it back and then they get into a fight over like who gets access to the mantra. It's really, so really good. solid. Yeah. What a great show. That is such a funny show. This, so good. The maniacal sort of the maniac that is Larry David. It's so close. Neurotic. Neurotic, thank you. Yeah, for sure. Um, man, okay. Yeah, we got we, a lot to talk about. We got about. a lot to catch up on. Can I say one thing right out of the gates? Yes. I'm going to use this platform uh -oh. to, since we're not getting paid, yeah. to get free product. Yeah, let's get some free something yeah, for God's sake. Free sakes. product. No, and here's what I want to uh, pitch. All right. My dad wants to get into surfing, yeah. and um, he's he would be a beginner. And I need a longboard. I need like a nine o nine to ten o longboard. I just want a used longboard. Um, we'll pay for it. Like I'm not asking for a yeah. freebie, but just like somebody out there, local Southern California shaper who maybe gets like trade ins or something yeah. that doesn't know how to get rid of those trade ins. Hook a brother up. 90 longboard it doesn't have to be a beater like it's fine if it's a beater because my dad's gonna run it into the sand basically repeatedly but 
I will also probably take that thing for a spin. I'm going to keep it at my place. So right. I'll probably take it for a spin on small days. But anybody who wants to get rid of a used longboard, uh, preferably, I don't know, a shaper rather than just a listener who, I don't know, anything. I'm right. up to whatever. Nine foot to ten foot would be easiest for him to learn on, I think. Um, and then uh, hello at surfsplendorpodcast.com is my email. All right. Well, there you go, Look man. it up. Okay, well, let's see. What do we got going on in the world? Well, we got the Fiji Pro. We got the Cape Fear. Okay, let's start right where you just chimed in there. Done. Red Bull's Cape Fear. A tow-in and paddling event at ours. It happened uh, Sunday and Monday or Monday and Tuesday. Depending on what part of the world you were in. Right. So a couple days ago. Um, in case you don't know, this spot known as ours or their kind of pinning it as the calling it cape fear it's been on the you know the surf world spotlight for you know 10 years or so anyway it's this slab wave that's just south of sydney right and red bull put on in my opinion what might be the best event i've seen in a long time maybe since the eddie or the or the big wave event at jaws yeah. <laughs> so the best event in a month well it's and i and i when i wrote that i was thinking to myself well that doesn't seem right but We've had phenomenal. Those were events. great events, yeah. and this one's right up there with those two events. There's in my like opinion, been, I agree with you. There's been three amazing events in the last decade. They happen to be in the last back to back two to back, months. right? Yeah, and I almost think maybe that this one was better than than for sure the Eddie. It might be right there with the Jaws event because Jaws was kind of groundbreaking. But this event had gnarly waves, you know, heaving eight to fifteen to maybe twenty feet of surf that. Um, was putting guys in heavy situations and as tall as the waves were, they were maybe twice or three times that thick and, and they were pitching out onto this rock shelf five feet from where these guys were wiping out. So it made for incredible, um, drama, yeah. right? Um, day one, David, as you know, was massive. I think I sent you the link. Did I, cause I was watching, I'm like, shit, David's got to see this. Well, did I, was did I send it, it to you? You might have tweeted it. Yeah. No, you didn't, you didn't text it to me, but. Online, we communicated. Yeah. So day one was just massive out of control, right? Um, it was it was a situation where they were not sure if they should run the event or not. Yeah. And um, basically, from what I understand, that hell man that is Kobe Aberton was said to have lobbied the competitors during – they all kind of hooied up and said, should we do this? Shouldn't we do this? Kobe Aberton offered that the year he won the, the huge event at um, – Chopu, they said that that year was too big to surf and that he proved them wrong. That was the year Chopu was a QS, like 98 or 97 or something like that. And um, so the events, the competitors eventually voted anonymously, yet I understand not, uh, unanimously to run the event. And no doubt Kobe Aberton's words, I'm sure, were, were, were stinging and staring them and whirling in their thoughts when they placed their votes. And... Um, Another interesting thing, Albie Lair chided the WSL who forbade the Big Wave World Tour competitors from participating in this thing. So that Red Bull uh, WSL kind of turmoil continues to exist. And I, by the way, I don't blame the WSL for protecting their labor source, you know, but it's interesting how this thing's going to play out because there certainly isn't a lot of entrenchment from the labor force on either side of this equation, you know. I don't know how much... 
Um, so the winner was Russell Berkey. How much did he win? Do you know? I don't know. That's a good. It question. wasn't really put out there, and no. I was surprised because my wife was asking about it, and that says a lot because my wife and my daughter watched this event with me. Yeah, and that's kind of like the litmus test if this was a good event or yeah. not. You know, and. Um, you would think I told them I go well look Red Bull's involved he must have won $100,000 I mean he put his life on the line but there was never a check presentation I never saw any money um, kind of thrown out there Um, and I think if there was money involved we would have seen it they would have kind of pronounced it as a way of kind of going hey look our tour's putting money in people's pockets are you sure you want to do that other thing over there yeah and it's not even a tour no it's not it's a specialty event. event right but so um, and then date so day one was gnarly, right? Super. They ended up calling it off actually. Right, the tide Mid, got too mid, low. Midday, and, yeah. And and day two produced these epic waves, and each one of those rides was putting us on the edge of our seat as we watched this event unfold. Day two was equally big, uh, a little more makeable. Right. Yeah. Not maybe maybe a little smaller, but maybe. it didn't matter because you're talking from twenty feet to twelve feet yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it made it better because there was more waves ridden. Right. Right. Um, Aki and Chris Cote and Ronnie Blakey's brother and Dave Wassel were the announcing team on the broadcast. Von Blakey. Von Blakey. Uh, the standouts, in my opinion, well, they were obvious, right? Laurie Towner, who surprisingly didn't make the final. Kobe Aberton, uh, Ryan Hipwood, and the eventual winner, Russell Berkey, were the – those four, in my opinion, were sure. incredible. And that's not to undersell – the other guy was it Justin Adams, Jesse, Jesse Adams, something like that. One of the Blake guy Thornton, the guy that was in the final yeah. with those other three, and it wasn't Laurie Towner. That guy was taking. They were all just getting bombs. It was yeah. crazy. It was just mental, right? And Mark Matthews uh, stepped into the announcing booth for the final, and he, and was, he was very, very good. And he was the event director as well. Right. Thank so you. even though Kobe held that, you know, meeting, Mark Matthews is the guy who ultimately calls the event on and off, and. Um, is the most well-equipped guy to do that, obviously. Yeah. So, incredible so, event. Well, Best me, event ever. Let me tease apart some of the things that you said. Yeah, please. I, I think anybody who's seen it can respect the dramatics of the setup and the playing field. But for those who haven't, let me really kind of define it. You said 15, 20 feet waves. They're different waves than you ever see anywhere else. I mean, there are other slabs in the world that are similar, but... When guys are pulling into the barrel, they're tucking in because the barrel itself is six feet on a lot of these waves. But then the lip from where their head is till the top of the water surface is 10 feet solid, a 10 foot lip just heaving over their back. So the the total wave might be 15, 20 feet, but the barrel that they're riding in is five foot, you know, and it's warbling and gurgling and like flexing. So it's so gnarly. And then it does break right in front of a rock shelf. Um, it has a zipper effect on on a lot of the end sections where it just goes zip. Yeah, exactly. And really, it, and, and it outruns the surfers who are in perfect position, but they still can't make it because it, it goes from sort of slow motion hitting these steps and setting up to hitting that slab, that ledge, and just going zoom. Right. And additionally, because of that ledge, there's backwash. So a lot of the previous waves are reverberating. And so the moments that you have to really find your positioning are few and far between. You're negotiating a ton of lumps, the backwash. And um, so the, the, the fans are also a mere 100 yards maybe from where the surfers are riding the wave. So that makes it a really dramatic as well. 
Um, the fact that. What did he say? I don't know. Scott trying to drop a audio clip. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I failed. I failed. I know. So the playing field is super dramatic. Um, we, you were talking about waves that are makeable and waves that aren't. What I thought was phenomenal about this event and why it's important is that we hope all surf events push the limits of surfing. And we see elements of it at Snapper when Felipe Toledo is doing insane airs. He's pushing the limits of aerial surfing in that world momentarily, but the other 33 surfers aren't. This was an event where they were pushing the limits of anything that we've ever seen in surfing on every single wave. They were teetering on the edge of what's physically functional or capable on waves. Like we haven't seen waves ridden like this before, but because there was all the right uh, security and safety in place, the guys had the freedom to do it. And because it was being documented from angle, every single angle possible, they were probably a little bit more inspired to do it. And there was a very small percentage of waves that were makeable, especially that first day. And once you're on that wave, even if it's, there's a possibility of making it, there's a hundred different lines that you could take and only one of them actually will work. And each one of those surfers did a phenomenal job of navigating the hundred options, you know, and really I thought every guy was super capable and, and deserved to be in that event. And a lot of them whose names I didn't even know, you know, and a lot of them sponsorless. So, well, the one guy whose name we do know, um, who in my opinion sort of you know, there's a lot of big wave surfers who we've heard their names. We might not be able to pick them out of a lineup, but you see them plastered on covers of magazines and on videos and YouTube and so forth and so on. And the one guy that, besides the winner, who was Russell Berkey, the one guy that really stood out to me was Ryan Hipwood. In my opinion, he was the guy that I was like, okay, he just kind of um, elevated himself in my eyes as far as who I need to kind of cheer for or be on the lookout for in the coming years. And I know he's been around for a long time and he's no, he's not a newcomer by any means, but he's sort of, um, like I say, he's sort of like rose to the top, the cream rose to the top. I mean, because, you know, he, as you know, he got the one insane paddling wave. Maybe you can explain to the guys, they were half paddle, half no, toe. You know, it's funny that you said that. I was going to question you on it. I didn't see the paddle stuff. Yeah. He caught one wave, um, in his, uh, the second day, his, his heat in the second day, he paddled into an incredible one and made it, got a 10 and it was a paddle wave. And he's really the only guy that, that did anything from a paddle standpoint that stood out. I don't know how I missed that. Yeah. It was, in, it was insane. Wow. And so he really sort of shined in all of, all of the arenas because yeah. this event did you there was an hour-long heat and there was four guys in the water and a half an hour you got to tow in and the other half an hour you got to sit on the boil and try to paddle in and none of the paddle very few like maybe four out of a hundred or four out of 50 paddling attempts were made and this was one of them and it was mind-blowing and square and mean and oh my god and you know yeah um and the interesting thing about that wave, as you were mentioning, there's a hundred different lines, but there's only one really that you that you need to pick to pull it off. And you can't see it from the beginning. You need to figure it out along the way. Right. Like it it, it kind of comes at you and so yeah. so fast. You have to be quick and quick thinking. The one thing that the guys that were making it that have surfed there a lot, you can tell 
at a certain point in the wave, they point straight into the rocks. Right. And their board is going at the rocks to make the wave. Because if you try to take a high line, you get sucked up and over. And the rocks are 30 yards away. 30 yards away. And so that's where it really takes, I think, a level of ballsiness to be able to go, okay, here, for me to make this wave, I'm going to do something that that is out of the norm, that doesn't make sense, You know, that you wouldn't draw on a piece of paper, that this wouldn't be the equation to get out of this tube. Right. And that is to kind of go for the doggy door. Yeah. You know, to do that move where you're going to straighten out. And that's actually what you have to do on many of these waves, not all of them, of course. And again, I'm no expert. This is just from what I watched the last couple of days. Yeah. Well, one of the, I think it was the 10 that Russell Bierke got on the final day in the final. He actually like stalled. Like he did exactly the adjustment you're talking about and like faded back and then set his line. And it's like the thing is sucking up on the ledge and growing behind him and he's stalling. <laughs> kind of going straight and it's like holy crap dude you want to i'd be running a million miles towards the shoulder and trying to get off the back of the wave and he's kickstalling there really is a fine line right between am i going to put a lot of weight on the back end of my board on the tail on the fins or is it now time to move my weight to the front of the board to get the hell out of here yeah and and a lot of the guys were kind of like steering off of their fins kind of doing that stall like you're talking about yeah. kind of rocking back and forth on the back of the board and then all of a sudden it's like uh oh here we go it's yeah. setting up for the zipper and i better be quick on the front end of my board and i hope it's and i'm hope i'm quick enough right. to get out of this thing right i thought another really important thing about this event was the production value is unrivaled you know and the wsl's production value by comparison has gotten very very good but the red bull team i mean it's so they had four different NFL, angles it's nfl standard they had every angle covered plus yeah. super tight close-up slow motion and they can pull up those replays instantaneously to review them like they're the people the wsl in, does that to their you know like if we're going to be the fair WSL, the wsl does a great job this was next level yeah this was this, this was, was like this is what you would expect from red bull who's like look we do one event a year yeah or you know at least relative to the surf world and we're going to do it right and this is how we're going to do it and you can tell that it was it, this a lot went into this event as far as like pre-planning and production and, and all that. The other angle that they had was a fan reaction angle. So while people, as soon as guys are getting blown out of waves, cut to the fans who are standing again, one hundred yards away, cheering, ooing and awing, or even more dramatically, pointing out where the guy is in the danger zone so that the rescue team can find him because guys were getting washed into the rocks. And the guys on the skis can't necessarily see because of all the water and turmoil. The people on the cliffs are like, oh, he's right there. Oh, he's right there, pointing to where the guy is. And then the, te the team comes in and gets him. How insane is that? The fans are part of the rescue effort, you know? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Pipeline's always looked at as like, okay, this is the one wave on our tour where it's really close. and we Amphitheater. Get yeah, amphitheater. And, and it is all of those things. But this was um, next level as far as the, um, you know, the, the sort of, the involvement with the fans, with the lifeguards, with the whole situation, it was all one big scene. It wasn't like, okay, there's fans on the beach, then there's sand, then there's a paddle out area, then there's right. the wave that breaks out there. It, this was all just um, so compact, as you mentioned. And, you know, a lot of stuff happening, boards breaking, guys oh, yeah. getting boards thrown to them in the water, um, you know. And because there were so many cameras, you're getting a lot of emotional and visceral reaction from the competitors, as you mentioned, from the fans, from the lifeguards, from everyone involved. And when I was talking about the super tight angle, 
um, close-ups. What was cool about that is what was happening to the board, right? Like, and what how the board was reacting to the extreme true. situation in the wave. Phase. Well, but the thing is, you lose a lot of perspective on that tight angle. You, you can't see what the wave is doing. Right. But good that's, news, that's, we also have that right, angle. Exactly. So it's like they show the wide angle. And you're so like, you oh, it's a six foot it wave, is. and then they pull out, and you're like, no, it's a twenty foot wave. Right. But then they do the zoom in, and you see how the guy, the surfer, you can see where his eyes are looking. You're like, oh, why is he looking down? And then you see the step come into frame, and you're like, oh, he was looking at that step. And then he adjusts for it, and his knees kind of bend, and it's like you see all the body mechanics that you don't normally capture from a slightly wider angle. And again, they were able to cut to and back and from like all instantaneously before me, the viewer even knew that I was curious about what his knees were doing. They've got the replay up and I'm watching it and I'm like, Oh crap. This is legit, dude. Yeah. It's really, really good. Now, um, the four commentators, uh, Chris Aki, I thought Aki did a really good job. I was surprised he was, he was toned down. He wasn't yeah. over the top. He, I like him. It was almost like he was in his element with his boys, so he had to kind of, he kind of had to be in his place. You know, he respects all of those gnarly guys there. On day one, when they called <clears throat> it off, he was chastising Mark Matthews pretty verbally. Oh, really? Like not to Mark, but on the mic. Just like I don't know why they're calling it off. Like I really think Mark's going to regret this. Like I, I think the waves are pumping. We need to keep running, you know. And I, I just don't understand. Wow. Um, which I missed that. Yeah, and it was like Mark made the right decision. By the way, you know, yeah. the the tide was getting too low. Was the decision? Aki's right. The waves were still big and pumping, but the tide was too low. Yeah, we've seen two makeable waves in the last heat. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah, it didn't surprise me. You got the sense that they were going to go that route. <clears throat> mm-hmm. You know, there was there was some frustration. You sensed frustration among the athletes. Like, you know, I'm towing into these big ones, and the tide's so low that the thing was just. You know, you. I just would urge David and I would urge you to go check it out. We'll you know? post links to it. SurfSplendorPodcast.com, DownTheLineRadio.com, right? No, no, um, BoardroomShow.com. Oh, that's right. I'm yeah, sorry. all of the downline shows are can be found on boardroomshow.com as well as Surf Splendor. But you don't call it down the line. You call it Surf News, right? Yeah. Oh, man. Got to help brother out here. No way, dude. You don't want to differentiate You don't want to brand our scene? Come on, dude. I, I Here's the deal. We need to have a I don't, talk. I don't want to take advantage of any of the goodwill that you built for 10 years <laughs> oh prior God. to me coming this along. This guy's such I'm a politician. Doing, doing the right thing here. Wow. Um, by the way, Russell Bierke's 18 years old. You can't leave the conversation like that. we got to continue this thing okay down the line radio Break it down. why why don't you want to call it down the line radio um that is your thing i mean that existed long before it's, my thing it's our thing am i being invited into it yeah of course Circle you've been into it for years how many years has it been we've been doing this feels like forever so. <laughs> <laughs> i sense that you don't want to call it down the line and that's fine um no but seriously i don't I'm know serious. if you mentioned it or not russell Bierke is 18 years yeah, old yeah he is that's insane it is and insane. I feel like I've seen his name at that place in the past, you yep, know, like, yep. but I never realized that he was as young as he is. So, yeah, there's some slab hunter stuff that you maybe pointed out about him a while ago where he was just at some other crazy slab yeah. doing something. I think it was a left, but. Yeah, like I said, I've seen his <clears throat> name. I just didn't realize who he was. So um, I think that's super cool. So Blakey, Chris Cote, Aki, Dave Wassel, for the most part, pretty good. I think Dave, maybe. Goes a little overboard. I like him. I mean, I, agree. He, I, he I think he's good at moments, but he the one thing he does do, um, and it's easy for me to sit here in my cozy little lounge chair and and criticize these guys. Yeah. 
But he does that literally thing where he uses yes. the word literally, but he means figuratively. Right. And that, because you pointed it out to me. About pots. Is my new pet peeve. It's crazy, right? And I'm sure I get caught up in it too. But yeah. now when I hear somebody goes, he literally caught on fire. I'm right. like, no, no, he figuratively caught on exactly. fire. He didn't literally catch on fire. And Potts hasn't slowed down. Potts is like, he's doubled down on his efforts for that thing. He must not be listening nuts. to us. Apparently not, which is perfect because now I'll segue into this. Okay. This, this dovetails with that precisely. And another thing you said about guys stalling for the barrel. Yeah. Let me play for you. Martin Potter's explanation of Alessa Quizan uh, trying to get barreled at cloud break. Here's the thing. Everybody has opinions about commentators that they like or don't like, right? right, right. And, and the thing that we can give Potts credit for is that the guy's a former world champ and he has more expertise than any of us do. And what the other thing is that in no other sport is there so much downtime that these poor guys have to fill. True. Like if, you know... Golf, boxing, tennis, whatever. It's just, there's just not that much downtime. And so we don't hear the guys as much as we hear these guys. True. So, so give them give a little them, bit. Give of, them a pass. But you need to be accurate in what you're doing. And this is an explanation, or this is an example of Martin Potter talking about Alessa Quizan in the, women, uh, Fiji, the Women's Fiji Pro event where she's trying to get barreled and she's stalling by putting her back foot on the pad and pushing down Potter goes into an explanation about how you'll go faster when you put your foot on the pad and push down. And that's how you accelerate out of a barrel. And I'm sitting here listening and watching going, no, that's how you stall to get barreled. And he's explaining the exact opposite. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I've never been world champ and I've never been barreled at pipe or back door. So Potts probably knows more than I do. However, there's no way that Potts is right right now, that you go faster by pushing on the tail of your board. Let's listen to it. All right. And Alessa, you can tell, looking for the barrel, standing a bit too much on the back foot, and that's what happens right there. As soon as you're stalling as well as putting the pressure on your back foot, your fins want to give you the speed, but your arm wants to slow you down. You've got to lean forward. You've got to put more pressure on your front foot. Disengage those fins a little bit, and then you'll lose a little bit of speed quicker. So... Just that technique right there that she was using, you're, you're leaning back on your fins, that's going to accentuate the board speed, which is going to counteract the, your arm drag, and it's going to throw you off balance, and that's exactly what happened. So Cuisan said... Wait a minute, he, he said that you got to lean forward to get out of the barrel. No, was, no, no, no. When you lean, when you put your feet on the tail pad, you accentuate your board speed. That's what At the beginning saying. of that, he was saying you got to lean forward to get out of the tube. Play it again. Okay, let's play it again. Play it again. Martin Potter saying she's leaning on her back leg too much. She needs to lean forward to get it out of the tube. That's okay. what he says. That's not what I got. So advantage, say, Jerickson. And uh, Alessa, you can tell looking for the barrel, standing a bit too much on the back foot. And that's what happens right there. As soon as you're stalling as well as putting the pressure on your back foot, your fins want to give you the speed, but your arm wants to slow you down. You've got to lean forward. you got to lean forward. Yeah. Yeah, that's you got to lean forward. Here he just loses himself. Yeah, yeah. Okay, maybe then there was a couple of thoughts that were mixed up, and yeah. I ran with the wrong one. Yeah. Because what he's also saying is when you put your foot on the fins, you get speed. That's what he's also saying. And I'm saying, no, that's the opposite. Your fins are create friction and hold you back, you know? But yeah, maybe you're right. And 
he's filling a lot of airtime and he's saying a couple different things and a couple thoughts got jumbled in the same explanation. So happens. Yeah. So at least happens. he has thoughts. Happens <laughs> Sometimes to- I can't even get thoughts out. Yeah. Well, then I will retract. Yeah. My statement. Thank and you. Not shame he's he's going to get angry at you. Um, <laughs> when you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. Free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. So at any rate, uh, Fiji. do we segue into Fiji with I that? I guess so. I mean, are we done with the, perhaps the greatest event ever? Um, I have more on it that'll end up in the kook segment of the show. All right. So we'll come back to it, but let's segue. Well, into you got Fiji. some kooks from this thing, huh? Well, it's... Do you want me to go straight into that, actually, before we go? Yeah, because my Duke is that blue-collar guy that was in the final. I think his name is James Adams. Yeah. Justin Adams? James Jesse Adams. Jesse Adams. I thought. He was wearing blue. Yeah. He was the fourth finalist. He got fourth place. He's the minor guy that, like, goes to the mines and busts his ass for 12 days and then skulls schooners of new and then (laughs) goes back to work for four months and then goes and hunts slab waves wherever so gnarly so the blue collar guy that no one knows about made the final deservedly so i thought that was cool he's my duke Kanamoku. well my kook is not a full kook um because i'd like to discuss it with you and kind of make a decision whether it is or whether it isn't um (laughs) but you you kind of you're digging for a kook here i'm not digging like it's a worth it's a worthy discussion all right um you touched on it a little bit, and that is the WSL banning competitors from participating in non-sanctioned events, right? Yeah, yeah. I understand that philosophy and the reason why they're doing that. Right. And um, it's standard operating procedure. Like yes. all sports franchises yes. prohibit. If you play in the NFL, you can't go play in right. other. Or the best, most similar parallel is probably the UFC. You know, if you're a contracted UFC fighter, you can't go fight in Bellator right. or whatever. Right. I totally get that. I would argue surfing's a little bit different for a couple of reasons. 
Firstly, there needs to be some differentiation between guys who are competing on the CT tour versus these big wave tour guys. Like Albie Layer, by the way, we're not going to get to see, as fans, we're not going to get to see him surf very many events a year if he's only doing WSL events, and he's probably not doing all the WSL events. So we're going to get to see him maybe once a year at Jaws. That's not really enough, you know? So I understand they don't want John John going to compete in this event, but there needs to be some accommodation made for some of these other guys. And there's a bunch of them that want to be competing on the world stage. And this is arguably an equal stage. Um, and Albie Layer has sponsors he can make a living. But a lot of these big wave world tour guys don't have sponsors. Well, I think, look, and, let me chime in just yeah, real quick. Yeah, yeah. Regardless of whether you have sponsors or not, um, if the WSL is saying, hey, you can't do this because you're signed up with us as one of our athletes, well, then there needs to be, and there may be for all I know, there needs to be some sort of compensation package right. where it's like, okay, well, if I'm if I'm vested for five years, do I then get like a retirement thing and do I get health care? Or are you just saying basically you only get to work when you tell me I get to work? Right. And if that's the situation and there's only three events maybe a year for Albie, you know, or these other guys, then I think, you know, this needs to be thought out. This needs to be discussed. These people need to come to the table and kind of go, look, what's in the best interest of everybody here? I would argue that from a big wave world tour standpoint, um, this is one of those, you know, grow the pond situations that the WSL would probably benefit if their surfers surfed in a Red Bull event. Yeah. You know, um, because there's only, as you mentioned, two or three big wave world tour events that are worthy of us watching anyway. Right. You and know? that's the thing. There's six events or so, yeah. half of only half of which run. I know. And like and you only said, half only of those one are worthy two. of watching. Exactly. Yeah. So, so here's, here's another difference between the MMA analogy and the surfing analogy is that the real, the only real assets for the MMA or the NFL are the branding, the marketing and promotion of their things, and then the athletes. That's not the case for surfing, to be honest. The real asset is the surf spot and whether or not it delivers. And that was proven at this event. We don't know who any of these athletes are, yet more people are going to watch this than we're wa- more people probably watched that than watched the Fiji Pro, which ran the same exact day. And it could be and- as some, simple, uh, something as simple as, look, you guys are allowed to surf in the Red Bull event. Here's the stipulation. They have to refer to you as a WSL surfer. There you go. That you know, like, good, so this yeah. is the WSL's Albie Layer from the WSL. He's, you know, he does really well on their big wave world tour. We're lucky enough to have him here. Yeah. We're stoked the WSL. You know, there just needs to be, and, and that comes from the higher ups kind of putting their egos aside and making this happen. And, and there may have been some damage done that's just too great for that to occur until those higher ups leave. And there's somebody sure. else that's got, um, not so much ego and has, has more of the WSL's future in mind rather than, where their legacy is relative to that. Totally. Totally. So I totally understand the WSL's tactic and following the path of the UFC or whoever else and wanting to protect the athletes. I do too. And I get, and I would protect John, John and CT surfers. I totally get that. Like there's 32 of them that are getting paid. But I also, when this happened, I couldn't help, but feel a twinge of pause and be like, this isn't quite the same as the UFC and it's not quite the same as the NFL. There's some extra accommodation that needs to be made in this scenario because by the way, the WSL will never run an event at ours because it doesn't fit the current 
judging criteria for what they're doing. But I don't know about that. No, I think after no, this doesn't. event, the WSL would love to run an event at there. But, but they don't run uh, towing events. You know well, what I mean? I'm just saying so, just because they don't doesn't mean they don't want to or I, that they I can't get, in the I future. I get that completely. But I'm just saying we're not going to – this event that we just saw, yeah. we're not going to see from the WSL in the, in the future, indefinite we, future. Maybe, you maybe can't say that. You don't know that. I'm saying right now, Albie Layer is at the prime of his life. Who knows if he'll be in an event down the road when the WSL Well, let me just out. say this. If the powers that be like Mark Matthews and those guys were approached by the WSL and the WSL is like, hey, we want to do this too. Yeah. And there was enough money involved, they would probably go, absolutely, let's do this. Okay. Now, All I'm saying is that, that the freedom and creativity that Red Bull has to do specialty events, the WSL doesn't. They have a tour. Well, that this has would just a be a big Wave World Tour event. This would just or maybe be- they, maybe the WSL could do a specialty event right. that isn't even part of the tour. Yeah. And that would make more sense. Yeah. So, But what I'm saying is the fact that the Red Bull has the creative ability to come up with concepts like this, the WSL might want to consider embracing and, and utilizing their star athletes I to, agree. to fit into that totally. scenario rather than fighting it off and trying to differentiate. Like there might be some overlap and, and mutual benefit for both brands, you know? Look, you know, or maybe the WSL sanctions an event. Frankly, and then everybody could do it, like the, the Vulcan Pipe Pro. These things start to boil down to that thing that you and I have been talking about for a long time. Like, wouldn't it be cool if, you know, we had one day of competition, yes. four heats, Kelly Slater, the defending champ, Russell Berkey, Kobe, um, John John, like whoever, right? right? So you just pick yeah. this insane uh, eight-man event, yeah. two semis and a final, and it's on. And now we're getting to that thing where we're boiling it down to like the UFC, where it's exactly. like, you know what? All we really want to see is John, John Kelly and, and Gabe Medina, maybe one other, you know, so whatever yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. whatever, you know, whatever it is at cloud, you know, at Chopu, one, you know, two hour, three hour heat, right? Perfect tide, perfect, you know, boom, boom, boom. Let's, you know, and that's going to get the same amount of eyeballs and the same amount of sales revenue. They can really ramp up their sales revenue with something like that. Totally. Yeah, that's the the thing that we've been begging for. It's almost like we have a couple different versions that if we could just <clears throat> make them make a baby together, we would get Please exactly what we want. <laughs> procreate and make a baby known as what? <laughs> I don't know. What are we going to call this thing? Um, well, so back to the feed. So who's who's your? This all started with a kook, right? Wasn't who's yeah, your kook? Again, it's I don't want to call the WSL a kook for their um, tactic there, but it just made me again pause and just be like, look, there's a there's a better solution here. I think there's an alternative solution that we haven't quite figured out yet. Yeah, I would agree. I would suggest to you that from the thirty thousand feet level. There's something wrong here. This this right. is too good of a situation to not figure this out and solve this problem. Yeah. It, and and unfortunately, at the ten thousand foot or the five thousand foot level, there's some egos involved, and there's some no way will I ever give that guy what I've got. Yeah. thing you know where it needs to be. What's in the best interest of Red Bull? What's in the best interest of the WSL? What's in the best interest of Albie Layer? What's in our best interests here, really? Yep. You know, when we look at this thirty years from now. And and I'll just speak as a fan. Yeah. Albie Layer did an interview with Stab and he talked shit on Instagram or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I heard about that. You know? So and it's He doesn't like, do himself any favors. No, but, but here's the thing. It's good to have an outspoken Muhammad Ali type. I love Albie Layer. 
and I want to see him surf. I do too. And so I'm trying to think to myself, well, when was the last time I saw Albie surf in a contest? Oh, um, the Jaws event. And that was it. I can't think of another time. Oh, oh and the Wave Garden event in Wales. Snooze fest. You know? Whatever. So it's like, which I think was a Red Bull event also, by the way. So um, it's kind of like, well, why don't I get to see Albie? Like, give me Albie. Albie wants to surf. He's asking to surf. We've got these great events that he can surf in. What's the deal? Yeah. You know? And and but You, you know what Red Bull wants? They want to have an event at Kelly's thing. That's owned by the WSL. That'll never happen. Well, I'm saying now yeah. we have some, oh, look, we want to do Cape Fear. You want to do, let's make all this stuff happen, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, so just as a fan... By the way, they're surfing that thing right now. Oh, are they? Yeah. I heard Raymana from Tahiti's over here for the to ride Kelly's wave pool today. Kelly's in Fiji. Well, I'm just saying that's what I heard. I don't know if it's true or not. Um, I'm hearing through the grapevine. So, but I'm speaking as a fan. Yes. There's a solution that needs to be found or there, you know, there's a problem that needs to find a solution if the fan wants these things and they're not happening. And then uh, more importantly, by the way... We're watching an event with a bunch of surfers that I've never heard of before and loving every minute of it. And yeah. those surfers are performing at world-class levels. Like, yeah, and those surfers are was, guys now that I consider stars. Exactly. You so know what I mean? There was and, a hiccup somewhere along the right, way. Right. I totally agree yeah. with that. And, and I think you know, the interesting thing, right, is that Red Bull has the ability to sort of um, move quickly and, and, and yeah. hear what David and Scott are saying and go, let's do what David and Scott are saying. Boom. Where the WSL is a little bit... You know, it's a larger deal. They've yeah. got these different, you know, they've got so much more. They just simply can't move as quickly. It's no fault of theirs. It just is what it is. Unless they get a separate little production team over here that's like, let's do specialty events. That would, be, bang the, them that would be the solution. And we can have our WSL surfers in them if they want. Yep. What we can really have, you know what we can have? We can have Mick Fanning, who's not on tour. We can have Mick and Joel uh, at somewhere like... Double Island Point up by Noosa or something. You know, who knows, right? Whatever it is. But we've got these guys that aren't even on tour right now that are actually our surfers. Yep. That's the perfect solution, actually. Um, so the Fiji, speaking of WSL, Fiji Pro, women's Fiji Pro ran in pretty good conditions, actually. Um, Joanne DeFay won and established really her position in one of the, I don't know, the top five <clears throat> women surfers. I feel like she's won a couple of events. She won the U.S. Open, I think, a couple of years ago in one-foot surf. Now she's winning this in larger, more hairy surf. Um, I think she's an incredible surfer. She's under-sponsored. She's established and proven herself over the course of multiple years. And uh, I'm a huge Joanne DeFay fan at this point. I was kind of early on. I started putting her on my team when she was like inexpensive, and she's kind of delivered the goods over and over again. Scott's rolling his eyes because no, he doesn't no, know who no, jo- Joanne DeFay is. Is she regular or goofy? She's regular, cute as a button. I knew that. I'm just teasing. Uh, from I look, uh, Reunion Island, I think. There's so much surf to digest out there in the world. There's a lot to take this in. Is I watched the girls' final. By the way, I thought it was tell great. me about Bethany. How insane. Now, Bethany is the greatest surfer in the world. I think Bethany Hamilton is the greatest surfer in the world. Dude. I dare any other, I dare any guy to paddle. And Kelly put something on Instagram yeah. and basically did this. And he's absolutely right. And you and I, I mean, look, we've blathered about Bethany for years. And I continue to because I'm just the biggest fan. She's crazy. She's, she's so inspirational. It's I, insane. I put her on my fantasy team going into the event. and That she, doesn't even matter. She paid. No, that does matter. That proves that I... <laughs> Put my money like where I my said, mouth it is. Matter. Put my money where my mouth is. Doesn't that was matter. like 
she not only is she not transcends only, your fantasy team. That's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is not only am I a fan, but I think that she actually serves at a world class level. Of course, I'm she not, does. No, no, no. But I'm not saying that with the caveat of she's also an amputee. For an, <laughs> oh my God. For, for an amputee, she's a good surfer. No, yeah. no, no. What I was saying is she's a world class surfer. Period. She's going on my team because she's going to take out these other girls that do this for a living. And she did. I think she made, if it wasn't the semis, it was the quarters, but it might have been the semis. She made the semis. And she was shredding. She was one heat away from the finals. Not only was she shredding, she was surfing that wave as it's supposed to be surfed, where a lot of the girls weren't. Like she was. She charged. No, but she had rhythm. She had flow. She would get barreled when you needed to get barreled, but then she'd come out and do hooks and carves when she needed to do that. Whereas some of the girls are barrel dodging for sure, and then just doing turns on the shoulder and trying to get three turns on the Who was a barrel dodger of the women? Mm hmm. I don't know that I can call that out of memory, but there was definitely... Do men on the tour barrel dodge? Heck no. Okay, thank you. And you're asking me why I don't watch the women's events? Uh, Yeah, I am actually. Well, you just answered it for me. Why are professional surfers dodging the barrel? It's a it's shameful. But, yes, but throughout the course of the event, there's phenomenal surfing that makes there it is. worth Look, watching. Look, I I, so, I want to see the women's surfing progress, and when it gets to a point where it's worthy of me watching it, which oftentimes the finals are, I argued or didn't argue, but I corresponded back and forth with the guy who wrote that piece in the Inertia. Sure. That for me, the women's events are about, look, when it's pumping Honolulu, I'm watching it and I'm digging it. The yeah. waves are insane. So it's kind of come down to when the waves are really good. And in some cases, this is true of the men's tour. We're going to watch it. Yeah. And when the waves aren't really good, I'm just not going to watch it. And in fact, that is true of the men's tour. Like, I'm not going to watch round two of the Brazil event. Right. Well, I would argue that whether the chicks are barrel dodging or not. They're professional. No, there's always an element of... Not always. There's often an element of grace and style and a way of surfing that is very appealing to me that a lot of the women possess that um, is different than the way that the, du- that the dudes surf. And Stephanie Gilmore is the best example of that. The way that she rides a wave is very appealing to me, and it can't be categorized in the way that Idolo Ferrer rides a wave. You know, But I like Idolo because he's smashing it and surfing in a way that I'm much more accustomed to. And I've seen a million times, and like it's a better version of a lot of others. But Stephanie's, I just want to watch her surf. You know who Stephanie Gilmore is? Yes. She's Lady Diana. In my eyes, she's Lady Di. Okay. She's the WSL's princess. Mm. And she and she acts the part. She is who she is. She's like perfect. She's she's perfect for the WSL. Yeah. In my opinion. She carries herself like a classy woman. She is a classy woman. She surfs like a classy woman. She's, you know, she she enunciates. She's she's beautiful. She's got she everything about her to me is Princess Diana. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. It's an interesting analogy. In the way that Kelly Slater's like a great ambassador for the sport, she is as well. Yes. You know. Uh, by the way, um the Listener who wrote that article for the Inertia. Simon, right? Simon Short is yeah. his name. And the yeah. article is called Who's Really Holding Back Women Surfing? So we'll link to that on our respective websites as well. Um, so then a couple other honorable mentions. Wiggly Dantas. Oh, for the women's. Okay. Laura, Laura Enever smashed a few. And actually, I thought she was an incredible... Uh, she's an interesting job. bird. Well, she is, and she doesn't. She often underperforms. This is an event that, for the last couple of years, she's really, really excelled at. So that was good. She to plays see. up her ass big time on Instagram and stuff. Like she really yeah. do- goes the Alana route, which is fine. Except I think she's a better surfer than that. Like I, 
it's kind of hard for me to like. Is she is she going like Anastasia Ashley or is she going can't like? She, can't she be both? Yeah, I guess she can, yeah. and she is. Yeah. You know, she's a good surfer, and she's a well, she's a better surfer than those two other girls you mentioned. Yeah, and for she, sure. She's a better looker than the other two girls you mentioned too. To be honest, hmm. so I think she's got them beat. Wow, in both scenarios. And you're in the market, so <laughs> I am. Laura Enver, David, <laughs> Laura up. Scales. It has like a nice ring that? to nice it. Ring. Um, so then we'll transition into the men, men's event, which they are, did they finish round two already? Yeah. yeah they finished round, round two. They're starting round three. They'll be going into round three with this next swell that's on the horizon. So we got a couple of lay days. Um, notes on round one and two. Kelly Slater looks revitalized for the first time in two or three years, to be honest. I think right. he looks incredible and he, right. he seems a little spirited. Yeah. Would you agree? Do you yeah. disagree? No, no, I would. I would agree. Okay. With that. Um John John Florence won his heat. Kind of the, some of the big guys, Mick Fanning is back at this event uh for the first time since Snapper, I think, or maybe Bells. But he looked really, really good. Mick Fanning looked in all time form, I thought. Did you see Gabriel Medina Burton Jordy Smith I saw that. in the free surf? In the free surf, it went on Instagram. Jordy shot his board at Gabe Medina because he got burned. How's that? There was a lot of commentary about yeah. it. A lot yeah. of Gabe deserves it, blah, blah, blah. And then sadly, the, all the Brazilians that chime in write in Portuguese, which I don't understand, but I'd love to hear what they're saying about it. Google Translate will tell you. Oh, really? So can you give me some insight? Is um, it, is I don't it as, know what the comment was as anti-Gabe as I anticipated, or do the Brazilians? I don't know. Sort of like have backstory and go, yeah, but John, Jordy burned Gabe four years ago, so right. he's getting back at him. I couldn't read any of that, but everything else that I heard was negative anti-Gabe. Yeah. Um, now, what, does the WSL what, sanction a, a surfer for for trying to injure another surfer? Sanction? Yeah, or like penalize? Yeah, fine him. No. I don't think they can. Did. They do that. I don't know. When you're in the surfing arena and you're free surfing at a competition, just think of it like a tennis player. Sure. If a tennis player felt that he was, um, you know, somehow there was an injustice done to him, and he just started hitting 120 mile hour serves at the guy's head, yeah, would they might have the, to would, is it the WTA or whoever it is the World Tennis Body? Would they find that player? I think they would. They'd be like, you're in the competition, right? Yeah, you're not in an official match, but you represent us now. Yeah. So when Jordy shoots his board at Gabe or any other thing happens in this realm of, of the competition, you know, how much authority does the WSL have here? Good question. If I was on um, We need to get Dave Proden to if, chime, if, chime in on this. If I was on Jordy's defense team, I would argue Jordy wasn't actually trying to hit him. He was shooting the board towards Gabe. If he wanted to hit Gabe with his board, he could have hit Gabe with his board. Well, okay. Right? I mean, so you're saying that there was no malice, that this was just... No, it was just like a frustrated, like, I'm going to shoot my board towards you. But I know it's not going to hit But he knew he wasn't going to hit him. Um, now, I'll explain exactly so what So it's happened. okay to shoot your board as long as you think it's not going to hit he him. He knew it wasn't going to hit him. I'm, I'm not doubting that. I'm what I'm saying that legally, I don't think then it's okay. That's like saying it's okay to shoot your gun at somebody if you know there's no bullets in the chamber. No, or if something. you aim over their head, it's okay. Yeah, the <laughs> Okay, that, that's not going to fly. Um, so check it. Uh, it was a free surf. The waves are few and far between. Jordy had been sitting out there for a long time waiting for this wave. Gabriel paddled right out. It was like the first wave that Gabriel got. Jordy was actually in position. The wave was coming right to him. He was on the inside position. Gabe took off 
almost just less than a foot to Jordy's shoulder off on the shoulder of the wave. They both stood up at the same time and Gabe just burned him, straight out burned him. Jordy got, took off, just barely made it through a bottom turn and then just flung his board at Gabe. Immediately after Gabe did one turn, kicked out. So they're now 50 yards apart and Jordy's throwing his arms up in the air like, what the heck was that? You know, what'd you burn me for? Gabe paddles out. They exchange some words. There's no punches thrown or anything, but it's heated. We don't know the words that were exchanged. But obviously, all the free surf photographers caught it. The WSL cameras actually caught it. And what I applaud the WSL for is it was a topic of discussion on the morning show. They brought it in and replayed the video. And Ronnie Blakey and Ross Williams talked about it. And um, I, you know, this is a situation, right, where I don't know if it's this year, but at some point in the future, this is going to go too far. The commissioner, the Roger Goodell, in this case, Kieran Perel, is going to have to. You know, this is where the commissioner makes a stand, or maybe he doesn't. You know, I guess in the NFL, there's a collective bargaining agreement where they determine how much power the commissioner has. I don't think any of that stuff has been sorted through it no. with the WSL. And I guess they're just going to let, you know, the WSL competitors sort it out for themselves until it gets to a point where they have to step in. Well, Gabe knows Jordy's not going to throw a punch because that's where somebody would step in. And that's why he does stuff like that. And Jordy is six foot three and. 210 like he'll smash gabriel you know so i think that's a that's a that's a really wussy move of gabriel and really the commentary explicitly stated and if you read between the lines further stated gabe does this all the time this is gabe's mo and by the way read the commentary further reason to hate him kind of and read the comment section underneath and you would know from spending time in indo like any point break you go to at these tropical destinations, a Brazilian crew shows up and sits on the shoulder and burns people. It's part of, you know, it's a stereotype for a reason. And Gabriel's just furthering the stereotype on the world stage. And people are pissed about it. And it's it's very unseemly. It's easy to put unbecoming. the black hat on Gabe Medina. And I'm glad for it. It's fun. It makes the tour it fun. It does. It makes it more fun. When there's a black-hatted guy that we can all like, you know, it was like used to be, I, you know, Yvonne Lendl in tennis. You know, he was like, he represented the, <laughs> the communist Russian regime sure. or whatever. Well, it also made me wish that those guys had a heat together that day. It was yeah, like, it was sh- like. I had to actually think about it. I was like, are these guys stacked up against each other? And this is just like a head game. Just like at the press conference for Rockhold versus Bisbing, they start talking crap about one another. You know, it's kind of the same thing. That needs to happen. Yeah. Some more crap needs to be talked. Yeah. Um, well, Jordy surfs against Kelly, right? Is yeah, that that's right. In round three, yeah. which will be a good one because yeah. Jordy looks on point. He does. I'm I'm rooting for Kelly in that. I, one. I am too. I'm, I've never been a big Jordy guy. I am, but speaking of um, guys who haven't lived up to their billing, um, Taj Burrow surfing good in this event, right? Yes. So is this Taj Burrow's? Well, it is his swan song. I guess this is his last tour event ever. Um, I guess my question to you is: is where is Taj on the list of the greatest? surfers to never win a world title because they're giving him a lot of and well-deserved look he's on tour for 16 years or whatever um but i haven't heard any commentary about you know he probably should have won a world title yeah you know there's there's 
you know, Jordy's at the top. They talked about Phil Mickelson forever as the greatest surfer to ne- or greatest golfer to never win a major tournament. And he finally got the monkey off his back because he's a competitive animal. Um, and I'm not saying the Taj isn't, but you got Jordy, greatest surfer to, to never win a world title. Sure. You've got Shane Horan. You've got Taj Burrow. You could probably throw, um, at some point, Taylor Knox on that list. Like, what does that list look like? Who is the greatest surfer to never win a world title, to give it a go? Now, Taj will tell you, look, there was, I think he will tell you, I mean, I can't speak for Taj, but I mean, he said that he doesn't even care about a world title. There's a classic quote from him, which, you know, rubs me the wrong way. It's like, well, then why are you on the tour? You know, and Mm -hmm. well, that's what I do for a living. Well, okay, so you're just filling a spot. You know, which, okay, that's fine. You know, that's, you know, he's, he's proven himself worthy of that, but it doesn't, you know, that's why we love Adriano so much. And it's not because he surfs good. It's because the guy, he, he like willed it to happen. You know what I mean? And, um, I don't know where you think Taj fits on this list. He's at the top. And what, and where's Jordy on that list? Jordy, I mean, how long has Jordy been on tour? Eight years. I guess so. I was just going to say, like, he needs to put in some more time, but you're right. He doesn't necessarily. Um, yeah, Taj is definitely at the top of the list. The only caveat is, I mean, does he charge pipe? Does he charge big He's one pipe. No. He doesn't he charge. Pipe. I wouldn't say he charged. I don't think he's one pipe. Uh, maybe he hasn't one pipe, but he, he can surf pipe. I mean, not really. Like, you see him there in events, but you don't see him there throughout the winter getting bombs, you know? No, no. But in events, he's one of these guys that all of a sudden it's the semis. And like, oh, yeah, he's in the semis. Not really, dude. I mean, Josh I've seen him. that I guy? saw him get hurt. I was on the beach one time when he got hurt going back door. It's super, you yeah. know, that was like 06. I mean, he's, my point is, is that he's not, he'll go out and surf in the events. Like, yeah, he's not yeah. pussing out. He's right, taking off right, on big right. waves. But. Yeah, he, you're right, though. He's not the known. He's not Kieran Perot. He's not, like, out there when there's right. no jersey on and it's on shore because it's filthy or whatever. Exactly. But, and so, it's like, I love Taj. And, I, you know, the tail throws and the airs, it's like it was a part of my formative years growing up surfing. Like, I'm into all that. But when I think world title contenders, I think guys who are equally good at that as they are surfing 10-foot pipe. At some point, does there need to be some commentary from the WSL, uh, whoever that person is? And maybe they don't have that person in the booth yet, but who goes Johnny Miller and goes, you know what? Quite frankly, 16 years on tour with all his talent, he should have won at least one world title. Yeah. And granted, look, you're running into the buzzsaw that is Kelly Slater, but Kelly wasn't on tour all those years. Why do you think um, Aki and... uh, Who's the other guy? Sonny Garcia. Those years, Kelly wasn't on tour those, I think. I know that he wasn't on tour the year Sonny won it. And I believe he wasn't on tour the year Aki won it. Yeah. And, you know, those were years that Taj as a competitor could have said, hey, you know what? That guy's out of the way. Let's move forward here and make this my year. Give it a good effort. Maybe he did. I'm not. But, you know, the the thing with Taj is that you just get the feeling that he was on the tour to party for a little while, which again, okay. Yep. I'm not saying you can't do that. But then you're going to take that that number one spot as the greatest surfer to never win a world title. I think that discussion needs to be excavated. Yeah. And Jordy's right there. And who else is right there? I, I'm wondering, is Rob Machado in that conversation? Could be. You know? Could be. I think he is. 
Could be. I mean, he definitely fits the criteria that I outlined in well, terms of you know, it's, rushing big waves and look, shredding. He, it was, it's been argued that one year, the high five year at Pipeline, yeah. all he had to do was win that heat. Right. And if he didn't kick out and wait for the high five, he would have had priority yeah. and he could have starved Kelly off of that last wave. I mean, there's been that's not that's been discussion for a long time. Yeah. In the way that Adriano has competitive fire, Rob's the exact opposite. Yeah, there was this, hey, he's my bro. And then it's been argued that Kelly was like, oh, my God. Internally, he was saying to himself, I can't believe Rob's going to wait for a high five right here. I'm going to paddle. And he just out paddled him and got position and got the next wave. Right. Yeah, interesting. Or starved Rob off of a wave. Yeah. So Rob could be on that list, right? So we've got Jordy, Shane Horan, Rob Machado, Taj Burrow. And to be honest, I I do, now that I've thought about about it a little bit, who has the most potential and talent to actually clinch the title, I think Jordy does. Well, Jordy's at the top of the list, in my opinion, because yeah. he's actually trying to do it. And he, but he is talented in to a level that I would argue those guys might not be. I agree. Jordy's right there. If it's not Jordy, you know, it's it's Taj or Rob or you know yeah. somebody like that. Yeah, I'm but, a huge Jordy fan, dude. Like when he's on, it's his mental game. That when he's fails. on, he is my favorite surfer in the world. He's just he's easy to get riled, and I think his mental thing is where he needs some. But speaking of that, John John, so it was on Surfline this morning, right? We've known that Bede was in John John's corner more or less, right? Well, for one of the events, yeah, Snapper maybe, maybe Snapper, yeah. So Bede's out at Cloudbreak coaching John John, which I think is awesome. Like, yeah. which to me is like that's the thing I'm talking about. Like, get a coach, get serious, let's get this thing done. John John, oh by the way. Although he doesn't have enough time on tour, John John's got to be on that list too. So, like, but he'll win. He'll win a world title. Well, until then, he's yeah. probably the top of that list. Now yeah. that we think about it, right? Yeah, he's been on tour for what four or five years. Yeah, he's got to be the greatest surfer to not win a world title. Now he seems motivated I think beyond he will. belief. Yeah. Um. Well, do you have more to say about this? Well, here's event, what or here's was, what Bede says about John yeah, John. Go for it. This is a quote from the Surfline article. Uh, John John, more structure. You can surf really well, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win a heat. Like if you leave the door open for people to beat you at the end. Kyle Abelli a bunch of times. And a la Robin Kelly in the 96. It can happen pretty easy. There's these little things you can do to minimize mistakes. Also using priority, like how, how you can dictate how the heat plays out. Using his presence is another thing. He surfs so well. He needs to let people feel his presence more in heats. Yeah, that's so true. And then he can win before it's even done, like a psychological thing. He's coming into his own with it now, and he's pretty hard to beat. So, you know, we're all behind John John, and we'd all rally around a John John world title. Totally. Yeah, I'm a huge fan. Just to get it back into North American territory. Yep, even though. Hawaiian, I know. Caveat or asterisk. Well, he gets paid by North Americans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, seg- segwaying away from the Fiji Pro, um, I'm going to talk about a couple of web series that are currently showcased on the internet. So there's a new series um, called Whatever Beach, which is kind of profiling guys in Santa Barbara County, one of which was Bobby Mar. The first video actually was Bobby Martinez. And I will tell you what, man. Um, I loved it. Bobby surfing is unbelievable. What we love in surfing and probably in life too is just characters, you know, like good, bad, ugly. It doesn't really matter. And surfing actually showcases 
personality. Like the way people ride waves represents their personality. And Bobby's personality, I think, shines through his surfing more accurately than when he even talks. You know, like his talking actually washes away some of my adoration for Bobby. And I, I kind of, I value, even though you might not be able to tell by listening to me talk on this show, I value vocabulary and intellect. Um, but I don't need it. Like Mason Ho isn't the most intellectual and Tom Kern isn't the most intellectual. They don't dazzle me with their intellect, but they endear me with their charm. You know, Mason's enthusiasm and Tom's seemingly seeming inability to construct his complex thoughts into simple sentences are endearing. Bobby, on the other hand, this must be why you've hung out with me for so long. <laughs> Bobby, on the other hand, I didn't know I was so charming. Bobby, on the yes. other hand, yes, doesn't seem to have the intellect nor the charm. But well, his, Bobby, but, when Bobby but, speaks, it's it. What you get is, is vitriol, and it's sort of not based in anything. Those other guys, you know, at least there's some humility in the fact that they can't string together a sentence. Sure, and I think that's the difference. Well, the funny thing is, Bobby doesn't seem to have the intellect that I'm saying that I like out of some people. But he's also super vocal, and that's, that's a bad what I mean. combination. I used the word vitriol. You seem yeah. to like vocabulary, but it's like he's like he's more opinionated, but has less opinion, like less to really back up. Well, the opinion. more he talks, the worse so, it gets. Totally. So um, unappealing combination, but oh, his surfing—it's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, and here's what's great about his surfing: it's basic and it's foundational, but it's so strong and it's so precise and it's so consistent. And I'm a huge fan of this clip. And he's um, like a Latino Aki. Totally, that's what he reminds. Totally, me. or or Nat Young. You know, um, so oh, he's better than Nat Young. I think. But what we lo- he is, I would agree. What we love Dane for in terms of his unexpected explosiveness and the rawness of his surfing, you don't ever know where he's going to go. I love the exact the opposite in Bobby. Precision Bobby, and power. I love Bobby equally, but the exact opposite. Right. Dane explodes. Bobby never fails to execute exactly what I expect of yeah. him, which is rock solid bottom turn into huge like snap, into huge carve, into huge bottom turn, and doing it 10 times on the wave, and he never falls, and he just does it repeatedly. And it's so precise, strong, and rad that I love it. And so in this clip, they didn't do what a lot of people normally try to do with Bobby, which is let's hear him talk. Let's hear him complain about something or cuss about something. They just let his surfing do the talking and it speaks volumes louder than he can ever do verbally. You know, it, um, it's, it brings up something interesting here, which is I was talking to my friend Wayne Rich, who's a surfboard shaper up in Santa Barbara. And we were talking about the Channel Islands brand. And he brought up a great point, which is he spent a lot of time at Rincon. And when you think about the incredible amount of 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 just super high level surfing that's gone down on Channel Island surfboards oh, yeah. at Rincon, you could argue. In fact, I don't even think you have to argue it. Those waves have been ridden by those boards at such a high level for so many years. It's like there's no board that's done more right. at Rincon than a, the Channel Island label. No question. I mean it. it or and, at and any it, surf spot around the world. Well, just specifically Rincon, though. But because it's no, such a good wave. Of course, but I'm just saying there's no comparison at Pipeline with a shaper or at Chopu with a shaper. Well, we were talking about it because there were some, some, you know, there were some um, guys up there that were like trying to poo poo 
Channel Islands, which is wow. a total joke, yeah, right? Totally. Because when you, I mean, when you think about Tom Curran, Dane, Ren, I mean, there's just the list is I, I won't even be able to and Kelly Wayne, Slater, Kelly, and, he, and Wayne was even saying beyond those guys, you know, just the locals oh, in the yeah. lineup that are totally. on those boards that are absolutely killing it. Um, it's pretty fascinating, you know, because when it you is. see Bobby surf, you, uh, you just see those Channel Islands boards going yep. crazy, you know. Yep. Um, one other series that everybody should be watching is a Mason Ho and Burgers series, License to Chill. Absolutely. I think they're on episode four now. So good. Um, Burger in, I think. Costa Rica? Two, he goes to Cabo. Three, he goes to Costa. Or maybe it's three and four. But anyways, they're about 10 minutes long each, and they're all hilarious. And really remindful of the mid-90s lost videos, where there's a lot of irreverence and joking around. And it's low production quality, but you love it for that. And the surfing's fantastic. Those guys are ripping. Yeah. So, I mean, Burger, his Mason Ho's overweight sidekick Overweight. <laughs> well, that's why they call him burger, cheeseburger. Okay, yeah. He, He's got a few pounds on him. He shreds. Hold I mean, special sauce. He doesn't, he doesn't shred so much as he gets barreled like yeah. crazy. Cool. Double hand drag stalls. Um, really, really rad stuff. Cool. So there's one episode. Actually, one of the episodes was Waimea, and they surfed the shore break in a lot of it, and it's rad. You know, Really cool stuff. Um, the other video I'll call attention to is Zeke Lau's recent edit from Quicksilver. Freaking A, dude. That guy is the gnarliest power surfer around. Like, we will see him on tour in the next year or two, but it's undeniable. He is on a different level than everybody else trying to qualify for the tour. I don't know how he ever loses. So, um, cool. Those things will all be on surfsplendorpodcast.com. Um, the WSL is looking into regulating the types of surfboards that the professionals on the tour ride. Mm, enlighten me. Yeah. So, my friend Morris Cole sent a letter to the heads of the WSL. And this is to um, one of the vice presidents and to the commissioner. And I'm going to read you this letter. This is from Morris Cole. This is uh, Morris speaking. I was recently invited to speak on a panel at the Boardroom Surfboard Show in San Diego about the future of surfboard design and manufacturing. During the panel discussion, I aired the idea publicly that the WSL has the power to change the face of surfing forever without any significant cost and with the potential for enormous positive contributions to our surfing culture. How, you may ask, by helping to popularize and legitimize a more sustainable and greener surfboard. Elite surfing athletes today use a 50-plus-year-old toxic manufacturing cocktail, which we know is bad for the environment and carcinogenic for the workers that build them. The surfboards break easily and considered as disposable pieces of sports equipment. Creating a performance-based, sustainable surfboard that all WSL athletes would have to ride could help push forward a technologically green revolution that would bring surfing into the 21st century. Currently, surfing's top-level competitions and athletes do not represent the technological and design breakthroughs that are happening all over the surfboard industry with materials like plant and water-based resins and blanks. And recycled foams currently being used worldwide in commercial surfboard production. 
I believe we are in an incredible renaissance period in surfboard building, which is not reflected at all in the current equipment being ridden by WSL surfers, and in turn by much of the general surfing public. One of the world's greatest technological sports is Formula One auto racing. Part of the allure of F1 is the ever-changing advances in design breakthroughs that produces world and sport-leading technology. For example, F1 racing now mandates the use of efficient six-cylinder hybrid motors that surpass the performance of the larger, less fuel-efficient eight-cylinder motors of the past. Mm. If F1 can lead in efficient automotive technology, why couldn't the WSL do the same for surfing? The idea is that the WSL make the following changes mandatory for all their athletes. Year 1, 2017. Surfboard equipment must be at least 50% recyclable or made with verified sustainable materials. For example, at first, the boards could be glassed with bio-epoxies and resins with no real performance difference. This would give designers and shapers 18 months to prepare for year 2. Year 2, 2018. Surfboards must be 100% sustainable, including the blanks, resins, fiberglass, fins, and fin systems. Sustainable Surf, a California-based nonprofit that certifies the sustainability content of surfboards, could be the independent organization that verifies the makeup of a surfboard and helps shapers and manufacturers understand how to use new technologies. If the WSL took the mantra of changing and helping the greening of the surfboard industry, there would be a major impact on viewers and athletes, which would which could help bring environmentally friendly and healthy solutions to surfing's ugly Achilles heel, the disposable toxic surfboard. We all have a chance to be a part of the solution to create and use greener materials that will benefit the planet and also showcase the inroads that these new technologies offer. The WSL would become a world leader in helping the sport and culture of surfing move to a less environmentally hypocritical stance and in improving working conditions for those in the surfboard industry. Green material innovation would become a part of the WSL's DNA. I think a perfect time to discuss and plan for the future could be during the Hurley Pro in San Clemente this September, as many WCT shapers are present, and it would be easy to make a presentation of potential rules and regulations and prepare the shapers and manufacturers for the year 2017 and 2018. I've had a lot of very positive feedback from all aspects of the surfing world on how easy this would be, what a win-win plan like this would be for the WSL and surfing as a whole. It's illogical not to do it, really, as this would add tremendous value to the WSL brand for little cost, but big kudos. Let me know if you want to continue the discussion, as there are so many positive angles to this idea. Thanks, Morris Cole. So that was a letter. Nicely done. Yeah. And, and it basically is what reply? he said during the boardroom at one of yeah. the seminars. That's And that's why I can read it out loud. Did they reply? They did. And here's the reply from the WSL, from the top of the WSL, one of the vice presidents. I won't name him for his just because he hasn't given me permission to do so. He says, Morris, your timing is impeccable. This has been an internal conversation at the WSL. We are definitely interested in leading the charge to create a cleaner environment and using the championship tour and the WSL athletes as the platform to push for greener surfboard industry, which we know they would take very seriously. We need to play our part as well in supporting the surfboard manufacturers in making this transition, whether it is R&D financial pool that all can benefit from, 
As we all know, the surfboard shapers are, are the unsung heroes in our sport and certainly not making the money they deserve. Our marketing team behind the WSL Pure has had recent discussions on the merits of developing a timeline where all surfboards by a certain date need to be sustainable compliant in order for surfers to compete at the WSL CT level. We are definitely interested in having further discussions on this very important topic. So I found that to be very interesting, yeah. right? The WSL's already discussed it prior to getting the letter from Morris suggesting it. And uh, I think it's all rather fascinating, actually. I think it's one of the bigger stories in surf, especially surf competition. And um, it's one that I think the surfboard manufacturing industry needs to be aware of that the WSL is looking at this. Now, some interesting side points to this, right? Kelly, we, most of us believe, has some financial stake in the WSL. I don't know that to be true. I think that that's, that's just m me reading between the lines. Kelly's involved in Firewire. He's an owner, if not the owner, of Firewire. Um, so there could be some conflict of interest yeah. there. Um, but I think... That can all be uh, combed through. I, I don't think that there's any like inherent you know business behind this. I think that they all just want transparency and they want the best for the planet. I agree. And for the oceans. Yeah. And I think this is going to happen. And uh, I think it's exciting. And I, I think people need to know about it. Yep. I agree. Um, that was very insightful. I couldn't agree more that now is the time and these are the right people. And this is the way that it should happen yeah. most effectively. The F one comparison is yeah, fascinating. It's, perfect. it's it really already is. been done, yeah. you know, by a You're huge, bigger industry, huge industry. Yeah. So, um, by the way, a listener commented, "Why didn't we record and then broadcast those interviews and talks that were done at the boardroom show?" Well, and the answer is, we didn't have <laughs> we the were foresight. Too busy. Yeah, I mean, no, we had the foresight. I believe Surfer Magazine has those things. Okay, cool. And I believe that I'm. You know, I'm allowed to get those things. And Ashton, one of the moderators, the managing editor at Surfer, wants to come and do a podcast with us. He's just basically we're calling Ashton out right now. We're going, dude, you keep telling me you want to do it, but what's the problem, Ashton? Part 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 of it's our problem, just for not inviting him, probably, and well, giving him a date to show up. Oh, I've invited him, but yeah, he's, he's literally one mile from here right now, right? Surfer Magazine? No, no, they're in, they're in Carlsbad. So they're literally... Surfing? Oh, they moved. Both of them are that's in Carlsbad. Right, that's right, that's so right. they're basically three miles from my house. Right. And so we should probably... Look, we want to have Dave Proden from the WSL. He wants also to come on. Also offered to come on. <laughs> he wants to come on. But I've, I sent him an email recently. He's... I don't know. He's probably in Fiji or something. Yeah, yeah. But... And then I've been getting some communique from the WSL saying, hey, I hear Dave's going to come on and that's going to be cool. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Um... Ashton from Surfer Magazine, love to have him on the podcast. Yep. Well, and let's make it happen. I'll, I'll Ben Matson from Swell Watch is in town. I had coffee with him yesterday, and I invited him to come on this morning, but he had an appointment up in Newport. Mm. How long is he in town? Um, just, just a couple a days, few more days. Yeah. Okay. Um, I can see your surf splendor wheels are spinning. Yeah. How can I get that guy? <laughs> how and, many? And not use down the line. Yeah. yeah exactly. You're just like. Yeah. Uh, how'd you get my number? I can't say. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll spearhead those other, I mean, Ashton and um, Dave Prodent, if you want, and like pick dates and make it happen. Yeah. If you would do that for us, yeah, of course. that would be fabulous. Okay. Friend. I'll do it. Um, I do it for the listeners, Scott. 
I do it for the listeners. Wow. <laughs> You're so full of shit. You're uh, completely full of shit. I've got a must-see moment and a Duke. We already, I already went through the kook thing. Um, must-see moment. Profile piece on Shane Dorian called My Old Man. Did you watch this? I saw it. I didn't watch it. Apparently, he's the greatest father ever. He is father of the year. I, I is he really father of the year? Father of a lifetime, dude. Like, is, does that? Did you self proclaim that? Or no, what about no, your father? I, well, second only to my father. All of our fathers are fathers of but the year. I, I say this leading into Father's Day in about a week and a half. Um, so anyway, this piece was produced by. It was actually funded by Yeti, which is a ice chest company you know a cooler company which does really rad commercials for some reason um and i don't own a yeti but i'm inclined to buy one because of this. sounds like an animal from some star yeah, it wars is. it's a, a yeti is like a, a sasquatch right yeah like well bigfoot i'm a big squatch believer are you really yeah. i know they exist okay yeah. um one of my favorite mitch hedberg jokes was like um maybe Maybe Bigfoot is blurry, and it wasn't the photographer's fault. <laughs> He's like, there's a big blurry Sasquatch roaming the forest, and that's a, that's extra scary to me. <laughs> Pretty it's funny. Poor, that guy's very funny. And then speaking of uh, comedians, you know, we were talking earlier about meditating, and amongst my friends, we have this thing where, dude, don't brag about your meditation because we always go, yeah, I meditated this morning. Like we always brag. We kind of we're looking for like sort of understated kudos from yeah. our friends, you know. And it's along the same lines as kale, right? Yeah. Like I always go, yeah, I had a kale smoothie. And it's like, dude, don't brag about your meditation or your kale intake. And Jim Gaffigan, the comedian, does this great thing about kale, right? And, and his whole thing is, yeah. Whole Foods is pushing this thing called kale. It used to just be something on the plate, you know, a condiment that would just sit there that you would just push aside. Now they're selling it to us. Well, the next thing is poison ivy. I went to Whole Foods and they're telling me that poison ivy is chock full of great nutrients. That's funny. So I'm Um, going to be bragging about my poison ivy intake. Very good. Well, Shane Dorian, this piece for Yeti, it's actually produced by Farm League which is a company that the Malloy brothers are involved in. I don't know if they started Farm League or if they just do some of the directing for Farm League. But, I mean, Chris Malloy, he's directed stuff at this point for Duracell and Coors Light and, like, these huge brands, uh, commercials that run on national television, you know. Um, so the production quality of this stuff is really good. And this Shane Dorian piece is no different. It's about six minutes long. It's um, they, do, they do a five-part series called My Old Man where they highlight different fathers and this one, and they're, Shane Dorian's the only surfer in the five-part piece, but it's talking about Shane Dorian and his relationship with his son, Jackson, and they live on the big island of Hawaii, and they do a lot of um, hunting, fishing, like spear fishing, surfing, of course. Uh, in this six-minute piece, they do a trip to Colorado where they uh, bow hunt and catch an elk or kill an elk. The whole piece is really, really beautifully done and shows some of the Jaws footage that we saw throughout the winter. They kill an elk? Yeah. Elk killers? They are elk killers, yes. Wow. And um, pretty gruesome, actually. They show Shane carrying... Thanks, it was beautifully done. <laughs> carrying the elk's head on his back, you know, oh like crucifix pose over the elk's uh, antlers. Really? Carrying the thing. Yeah, it's gnarly. But mm, How do you feel about that? I feel okay about it. Dude. You're all right with that? I, dude, I eat, elk. I eat meat. I do too. Not, you don't yeah, need to kill well, it. Somebody will kill it for you. You can just go to the store and buy it. And oftentimes that's less humane than the way that Shane did it with a bow and arrow. You know what I mean? Like 
So killing I, more animals, okay? More animals. I'm not advocating it. That's not. I don't have I, a position have, either. I'm just kind of. I'm want, not against I want to, it. I want to excavate the concept a little bit. Look, I think there's a. Uh, I'm not going to get into it. Oh come no, on! I have no problem with it at all. <laughs> all right. With Shane Dorian killing that elk. Right. Anyway, the what if it was somebody beautiful. else? Is it because it was Shane that you're okay with it? Or? That might that might factor into it. But right. anyway, um, the piece is really beautiful. That's my musty moment. Shane Dorian, mild man. It'll be on SurfSplendorPodcast.com. I have killed an animal in the past with a gun. Just have for you? the record, let's have some transparency. Do you have some, some remorse about it at this point? Um, no. Okay. No, I don't. I just think it's interesting. Like, I, I, I guess I'm wondering why that had to be a part of this piece. Because it's part of Shane's bringing of up his son. No, right. bringing up his son. Like That's one of the things they do together right. is go pig hunting in... The hills do you think and- Shane Dorian votes for Trump or for Clinton? Ooh, I have no clue. Who do you think is an NRA member? Shane Dorian, Clinton, or Trump? Well, Shane's not using any guns, by the way. He's oh, a bow he- hunter. Oh, really? Yeah. So I'm an NRA guy. So yeah. Well, I have a Duke as well. My Duke, or did you have something you were going to? I have a. Co- I have a kook. Yeah, go for it. Anybody that's stolen a surfboard, I know it's kind of yeah. a large blanket to throw on the mass public, but. Um, there's a stolen surfboard alert. All surfers from the coastline of Baja, San Diego, Orange County, and Los Angeles. If you have, may have had a surfboard stolen during the summer of 2014 and 2015, there's going to be a link that we're going to put on boardroomshow.com and on surfsplendor.com, surfsplendorpodcast.com, yep. um, that's going to take you to a place that has images of stolen, of boards that we believe were stolen. Hmm. In Baja, San Diego, Orange County, and L.A. Now, with the help of Board Grab, which is a brand, a green lightning surfboard was stolen um, in San Diego two years ago, was recovered by using this URL. So you're going to click on this URL. It's going to have images of stolen uh, boards we believe were stolen. And this might be your board. So um, there were 60 boards being sold through a consignment shop on the East Coast that we believe were stolen surfboards, and they're on these pictures. Crazy. So check out this link to the stolen surfboards on Board Grab, and there'll be an email. If one of the boards is yours, you can email and um, follow up. And I know the police are involved in all this too. So, Crazy. Yeah. Um, well, my Duke is Matt Warshaw for becoming the surf consultant for the Oxford English Dictionary. Warshaw is an asset to surfing as our foremost historian. I I would argue that he probably toils far longer, more tedious hours than he'll ever be paid for and probably more than he's ever going to receive credit for. So his job's kind of a thankless one, but we all really benefit from it. Um, He's a friend of the show. I've invited him actually to be a guest on this show a couple of years ago to be interviewed, but he politely declined, stated that he's no good on the open mic. I doubt that, but at any rate, uh, my favorite contribution of Matt's to surfing is the encyclopediaofsurfing.com. There is a hard-bound cover encyclopedia of surfing from years prior that he also wrote, but encyclopediaofsurfing.com makes it so simple to find anything you need to know about surfing. It's where I often gather information for this show, and it's actually an ongoing project that is exactly what it sounds like, an encyclopedia of surfing. Anyway, the Oxford English Dictionary reached out to Matt and asked him to review their definition for the term tandem surfing. And then that led 
to them offering him a consulting gig. And now they're sending him 80 words to review. He said he's only getting paid 550 bucks for it. So it's really a mere pittance. Like I said, not worth the hours that he puts in, but it's a feather in his cap. The problem is for Matt's career, everything that he does is just a feather in his cap. Like nobody's cutting him big checks for it, unfortunately. So do you know Matt personally? I do. I've gone on surf trips with Matt. Matt's a friend of mine. Matt continues uh, to remain at the top. He's one of the paladins of the surf journalism world. And his antipodes is Jeff Spicoli. Look at you using big words. He, by the way, Paladin yeah. Antipodes. Scott Look had Merriam Webster's app open on his phone right now while he was delivering that. That is not true. <laughs> I was sitting here fidgeting with this broken, uh, what is this, a paperclip? What is the second word? Antipodes? Antipodes. Is that like a Greek character that that word comes no, from? No, Paladin, a Paladin is, the Paladins were um, the Knights of Charlemagne's court. They were like the best of the best. Okay. So Matt rem- remains uh, one the of the Paladins of, of the surf journalism world. And an Antipodes is actually the exact opposite of um, where you're standing today. So if you took an axis and drew it through your head to the other side of the earth, yep. th- where you where that is probably like um, the Indian Ocean, that's the Antipodes of this spot. So the Antipodes is sort of like the exact opposite. So the exact opposite of Matt Warshaw is Jeff Spicoli. Yeah. The, his, that's his Antipodes. Anti means opposite, obviously. Well, duh. Duh. So yeah, what does P's come from, though? You antipodes. Know? Look it up. Yeah. I get it. I trust you. I'll consult with Matt, actually. I got that from the New York Times. I actually got that from my friend Kevin Flood. He's like, I read the New York Times because I get two new words every time I read it. And we mm-hmm. were discussing his words, and he used those words. And then I'm trying to incorporate those into my vocabulary, well as done, I just did. Scott. Thank well you. done, Scott. So, um, and did I tell you I drank a kale smoothie? <laughs> <laughs> and meditating. Uh, so you guys both worked at Surfer. Did you work there at the same time? No. Okay. No, I didn't work there with Matt. Matt was before my time. He's much older. Yeah. Yeah, much, much older. Grayer. <laughs> but we went to El Salvador together, and Matt is a tube monger. He puts his arm in the tube, in the stuffs way. it in there, yeah. stalls like a madman. If it tubes or not, he's stalling for it. Well, I have a couple of friends who will remain nameless but are probably listening to this show right now uh, who've encountered him. Warshaw on a surf trip in a tropical destination and we're kind of bummed out on him. They were <laughs> he's like, aggressive in the water. They're like, he's super aggressive in yeah, the water, doesn't chat with anybody, no, he and doesn't. we're all staying at the same resort, and then he was reclusive at the resort. So he's like keeping to himself on land, not chatting with anybody. Then we go in the water and he's super aggro trying to get every single wave. Yeah. And they were like, that I was sounds like Matt. <laughs> They're like, I liked the guy. Like, I wanted to like the guy. I knew who he was. I yeah. wanted to approach him, but he was unapproachable. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, I can't speak for Matt, but I know that um, he just doesn't want to be bothered with like when I was on the trip with him, I would just be like, how come he's in the encyclopedia and that guy isn't like the whole time I was there, I was just like pinning him like, how come you put like Simon Law in the encyclopedia of of surfing and not uh, Luke Davis or who, you know, like we were just constantly asking him and he just gets berated by those questions and it's just too much for him. (laughs) <laughs> Funny. Well, he lives in Seattle, interestingly, right. and I think that I always question like how Look, much here's of a the bottom line. Be? He, yeah, I don't Can know. Still, I think he goes on surf trips. You right. Know? So the only time he surfs on Matt surf trips? is an, what Matt is is he plays Scrabble. He's a Scrabble player that surfs. He's not a surfer that plays Scrabble. Yeah, he'll hate that I said that. And he gets his ass kicked by his wife in Scrabble constantly. Well, Matt is my Duke for all of his many contributions, but for becoming the consultant for the English Oxford Dictionary. 
Well done, Matt. Matt, congrats. Hard-earned $550. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all of our show. We thank you for listening. Until next time, which will be two weeks from today, perhaps. Adios and aloha. How long have I been gone? How long have I been traveling? How tired have I been? And how far have I got in circling? This episode was recorded at our favorite institution, the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center. Visit surfingheritage.org to check out the Smithsonian of surfing. Let us not forget that important detail, even though we did during the recording of the show. Um, Thank you, listener, for tuning in, as always, to this supersized episode of Surf Splendor. Again, surfsplendorpodcast.com is where you can find everything that we discussed in this show. My email address is hello at surfsplendorpodcast.com. Hello at surfsplendorpodcast.com. And then, um, you know, interact on social media at surfsplendor. Again, shout out to Matt Parker at Album Surfboards, albumsurf.com, and then on Instagram at albumsurf. You will not regret that follow. Ah, enjoy the rest of the Fiji Pro. Enjoy your life. Enjoy the ocean. This is your host of Surf Splendor, David Scales, reminding you get out in the ocean, catch a couple waves, and shred on. And the seagull falls back on the sea.